Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is Taz of the Moose with you coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studio. Rocket Mortgage with you every step of the way to provide a seamless mortgage experience. Mike Pete across the way, bogus has got your updates and sitting in with me for a vacationing Taz here on this Tuesday morning as we got another hour left to play with. We're going to talk a little Cowboys football uh, a little later on this hour as uh, Jane Slater uh, covers the Dallas Cowboys for the National Football League. We'll join Andrew and myself, and that's coming your way about 20 minutes from now. So look forward to that conversation. I mentioned uh, CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line is brought to you by Geico. Great news, quick way you can save money. Switch to Geico, go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes you can save 15% or more on your car insurance. Let's get to it. Here we go, third and final hour. Here's the three. It is now time for the three. We get you caught up on the three biggest headlines of the day with Taz and the Moose. Number one. Freddie Kitchen responds to Bob Wiley's criticism, vows to fire any Brown staffer leaking information. Yeah, so let's go back. Uh, Bob Wiley, former offensive law and coach with the Browns, was a guest right here on CBS Sports Radio of Zach Gelb. And here is Wiley uh, talking about the fact that how surprised he was that Freddie Kitchens got the head coaching job at Cleveland. That shocked me a little bit because Greg Williams actually turned the team around. Greg Williams did in the second half of the season that his work. That was his work that got it to where it is. Okay? And then, no, Greg wasn't. He got the interview. Okay? But I think Greg, my own personal feeling, is Greg was too strong a candidate for the seat. And I don't think Dorsey wanted to go right to head. Okay, like you had to do with Andy Reid, you know, in Kansas City. So he kind of filtered right out of the picture, you know, and he kept the search going. And then Freddie, who Baker likes Freddie, there's a good relationship there. Even though Kenny Zampese did all the coaching there, okay, you know, Baker likes Freddie, so they that had a filter into the decision, right, to keep Freddie because he didn't have any coordinating experience. And he doesn't have any head coaching experience. Now, Greg Williams had coaching experience. You could tell that it came out. That team, right, the team played, and it played hard. Okay, and it was wonderful to watch the kids play on the Greg. So, there you have it. That was Wiley on Zach Gelb's show. Now, here is Kitchens yesterday addressing the Wiley comments. Take a listen. I never wanted any uh, appreciation. I've never asked for any tooting of my horn or anything like that, but we seem to ask for it. But what about the players? What did the players do? Did they have anything to do with the turnaround? Because I really, truly feel that this game is about the players. It's not about me. It's not about Bob. It's not about the staff. We are in, Our job is to get them ready to play. It's about them. But when do they get their credit? 
because they had to make a conscious decision to turn it around, and they did that. So I would say that about the comments. It's, it's, it, it doesn't matter. Bob doesn't wear brown and orange anymore. All right? I had the opportunity to hire Bob. I didn't want to. I went to the hospital to see Bob. Every week he was in the hospital. All right? I FaceTimed Bob before every game, before we went out as a staff, just so he would continue to feel a part of it. So at what point does Bob realize that it was the players and not the coaches that turned it around? Yeah, I think it's um, jealousy, scorned, uh, however you want to phrase it. Uh, The relationship between uh, Kitchens and Wiley is long gone. Um, You know, and I think Kitchens talking tough is a message to the rest of his assistants. He doesn't have to keep the assistants in the holdovers, even after the success that they had a year ago. And I think it's just a, you know, I if you ask me which is a poor look, what, you know, Kitchen's tough talk yesterday or Wiley, you know, Andrew, I'd probably have to tell you, I think Bob Wiley looks worse for the wear. Yeah, and I see your point. I just, I'm still stuck on on Kitchen's now. The new thing, and you put this in my head at the top of the broadcast, like his theory there and his point about, you know, the players did this. When, when we give the players credit, on one hand, I mean, obviously the players did it, but it's because Hugh was gone and Freddie and Greg Williams did a good job in rallying those players and putting them in position to be good at their job and have success. But when you stand there and go, the players were responsible for this, then that means that you shouldn't have this job, Freddie. I mean, you got the job partially on the job you did last year with Mayfield. in fixing things with Mayfield to make him be good, to make them score points. The defense was better, and they won some football games. So, you know, it's also about the coaches here as well. And... All of those things that Bob Wiley said, now, whether he should have said them out loud is a different conversation, but he said them, and we heard them, and some of those things we thought beforehand, and, you know, if it's true that this is more about Zampezi on offense than Freddie Kitchens, and they're going to miss Greg Williams, you know, it helps me feel a little more confident in my thought that this year is not going to go as well as people think in Cleveland. The Browns are being oversold now. The question is, just how much they're being oversold. Are they really an eight-win team, a seven-win team? They're going to win 10 or 11? Like, that's obviously the question we're going to find out once we get to September and even farther. But, you know, the things that Bob Wiley said, taking with a grain of salt, fuel my concerns with this team and the way it's been put together in the way or the, about the guys who are in charge of it right now. Yeah, and I can understand that. And there's been a lot of heat. And if they crash and burn, they're going to be one of the great disappointments in recent memory. Because yeah. I think everybody and their mother expecting the Cleveland Browns to have a bounce forward season coming off of what was a, a really good finish despite the loss to Baltimore in Week 17 to close out uh, last year. But a very good step forward season a year ago. So you know, I, I I do think that is fascinating when you look at it. Um, and for Kitchens here, I agree with you. I, I'm done uh, done addressing Bob Wiley here moving forward. Right. Uh, if someone asks me about him, Who? I don't care. I don't care what he has to say. I don't care about any of that because now it's becoming an unnecessary distraction that the Cleveland Browns don't need. Not even a little bit. And, and, and the bigger picture is they're going to have more detractors, whether it's guys who were on the inside, who are now talking. You know, there might be another Bob Wiley who feels jilted by not still having a job in Cleveland and maybe asked the right questions by somebody and gives us more possible dirt on this situation. Or it's just going to be the normal kind of haters you get when you have success. 
you know, this one obviously is different. It's a little more personal, so maybe that's why there's a little more pushback from, from Freddie Kitchens, but they all better have thick skin because there's more coming, and they can't let all of these things get in their head in any little bit. All right, next. Number two. Tom Brady can still become a free agent in 2020 despite new contracts. So we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about Brady getting a new two-year deal from the Patriots. Then the uh, you read the tea leaves, you find dive people dive deeper into that contract, and in essence, what it is, and um, you know, I misread it initially, but what it is is uh, a deal that pays them $8 million more this year. They get $5.5 million of salary cap space because they're able to spread the guaranteed money over the course of three years. But the the two-year the two extension that he signed is all voidable <laughs> after the season. So, in essence, it's a one-year contract. And I guess this... Where Brady gets paid. Right, He's making my, $23 million this year. And my complaint that the, the extension is basically you know nonsense. It's fake. It's not even real. I guess this is the year that makes it real, and then the years two and three end up are the the voidable ones. It just still, but still seems, under contract for this year, right? It's exactly. Not like he showed up at camp without contract, and they I mean, re, and you know, they reconfigured this year, so it ends up kind of being like a new three year contract on a two year extension with one real year and two voidable years to get around my kind of hang up on the deal. Not with them because they should use every way to manipulate the salary cap and save themselves space and. There's all everyone does these tricks. That's fine. In fact, actually, this is my apparently the first time they've done a deal with voidable years, but it happens around the league. Um, so that's for that's a bigger conversation, not a, a Patriots knock. I wish that this took us down the road farther to Brady flirting with other teams. I, I I'll again, there's like a one percent chance we get drama in the winter, but it would be stunning if this turns into any kind of real negotiations, bargaining, back and forth. They just, they cleaned up some salary cap issues yesterday. What did he say? It is is what it is. There's like no reason to celebrate. It's not a big deal. Not a weight off their shoulders. No one was sweating it. They just signed some new paperwork and they move on to again winning the AFCs probably easily. Let's hear from the particulars. Here is uh, Brady talking about his new deal. Take a listen. It is what it is. That's a good line. (laughs) So whoever said it, it's very pertinent. So like I said, there's a lot of guys who, are, who have, you know, one year left on their contract. Um, you know, so the situation, I got one year to go, and we'll see what happens. Bill Belichick, what says you? On the um, uh, Brady contract, um, you know, it's always good to come to an agreement with a player, uh, any player. So, you know, that's, that's a good thing. Um, and I'm not going to talk about the contract, so we'll move on from that and focus on what we're here for, which is um, a great opportunity uh, to uh, work against the Lions. Yeah, so Belichick doesn't want to talk about it. He's happy to have Brady under contract, and, you know, for the most part, uh, as we know, it's still a one-year deal, and Brady was under contract for this upcoming year, so nothing really changes, but, you know, even with the possibility of him hitting free agency in the open market, uh, I use the word stunned. Yeah. I mean, it would be, I think, one of the great upsets um, in terms of player movement that I probably will ever witness. If I ever see Brady move on um, and decide to say thanks but no thanks and move on from the Patriots and decide to go someplace else, I'd be I'd be flabbergasted, stunned, picked whatever adjective you'd like to describe. I, I 
I just cannot imagine him putting on another jersey. What if he continues his anti-Jimmy Garoppolo push? Garoppolo struggles this year. Niners don't play well. He he lets John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan know he wants to finish his career near where he grew up. And he knocks Garoppolo off the Niner roster and he takes that job because he's finally a free agent. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I understand what you mean. But at 43 years of age, I think Tom Brady realizes he's in a really, really good spot. An organization that takes care of him. He's in the best spot. There's going to be no better spot. All they do is win. I'm sure, you know, he's able to vacation and, and visit Northern California during the course of the offseason. He's got plenty of time for that and plenty of, for, uh, plenty of money to be able to hop on any jet at any time and go wherever the hell he wants to go in the world. I mean, that's the kind of money and the wealth that we're talking about with Tom Brady. Uh, I don't think this is going to be his last year. I don't think there's anything to do with that. I think as long as Tom Brady continues to play like we think he's capable of playing, I think Brady is going to make it to that 45 years of age. A goal of All his. as a Patriot. All as a Patriot, which would be remarkable. Yeah, Would you be surprised if they win another Super Bowl this year? Of course not. No. I mean, we just had, uh, you know, uh, who did we just have? We had Matt Chatham on, right, talking about the, the talent of the defense. I mean, you know, he, you know they, this is not a Patriot team that's not going anywhere. They're not doing it with smoke and mirrors. It's a really, really talented Patriots team going into the 2019 campaign. All right, next. Number three. Vince Carter will return for his 22nd season in the NBA. That's remarkable. It's remarkable. People can poke fun and talk about his age, as we did a little bit earlier on, uh, Andrew. But uh, to play playing even as a role player and a bit player, competitive NBA basketball at 42 years of age is remarkable. Mikey B whispered in my ear before that Vince Carter is Older. I'm sorry. What, he's he's been in the league longer than four Hawks have been alive. That's crazy. There are four sub 21 year old Hawks, and Vince Carter's going towards year 22. Um, and certainly, I mean, he's hanging on in the truest sense of the term here, Moose. But he's also can be useful still. Now he's more useful in kind of a leadership role with the Hawks, and that's what he is signing up for again yeah. here. But the Hawks have you know have some uptick uptick in them this year. And if Vince Carter had chosen to go, and Mike can correct me if I'm wrong here, but if he had chosen to go to a, 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 a bigger contender, a better contender, I think there would have been a spot for Vince Carter to give you a handful of points per game, go sit back down the bench, manage his minutes, manage his game. So, yes, is is he anywhere close to an elite player? Of course not. But he's also not some fat dude out of shape demanding playing time. I mean, he can still do some things at 42 which is also crazy Mike for a guy play. whose game was predicated on his extreme athleticism, yeah. which he doesn't have anymore, obviously. No, but he could shoot the ball from the outside. Exactly. Now. So he's changed and adapted his game. And, and the idea that he is uh, looked at whatever role that there is, but the fact that there is a role for him in the NBA at 42 soon to be 43 years of age is remarkable. When you see other guys, former players, they're now broadcasters, and you see what their body is like after the ravages of the NBA. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and Vince Carter came into the league, played a lot of college hoops in North Carolina as well. Right. Yeah, it's. Um, but he'll be back with he'll the Hawks. Be back next year. and breaking all NBA. He's gonna. I think I mentioned this in an update before. When we get to actual 2020, and he plays a game in that calendar year, the first player in NBA history to appear in four decades. That's crazy. Crazy. That is insane when you think about it. So there you have it. Your four, your three big stories here on this Tuesday morning. 
Uh, when you look at it, uh, the big news uh, surrounding uh, Vince Carter signing that one-year deal. He's going to be playing basketball. Uh, the uh, contract for um, Tom Brady ends up being just a one-year deal. He gets $8 million, uh, additional money, uh, $5.5 million of salary cap space uh, for the New England Patriots. And then Freddie Kitchen firing back an offensive line coach, former offensive line coach Bob Wiley, for his comments that you heard right here on CBS Sports Radio uh, with the one and only Zach Gelb. It's Taz of the Moose, Andrew in for the vacationing Taz right here on CBS Sports Radio. Support for Taz of the Moose comes from Manscaped, number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. It is a fantastic product. Take care of your all your manscaping, everything that you need to do, and no fear of nicks and cuts or anything like that. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, thank God. And don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using down there. That's just nasty and gross. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing bowl deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting in deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? You need to do that there. Take care of it. You want to smell nice all over. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TAZ, T-A-Z, at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TAZ, T-A-Z, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping. At manscaped.com, use promo code TAZ, T-A-Z. You're listening to Taz and the Moose on CBS Sports Radio. It's Taz and the Moose on CBS Sports Radio. That's right. On this Tuesday morning, we're going to talk a little Cowboys football. Jane Slater is going to join us. Talk a little Dallas Cowboys football, NFL Network. Bogus is filling in for a task all week long. He's on vacation. Well-deserved. He's also getting your updates throughout the course of uh, the morning, too. So a little double-dip scenario. And he's got CBS Sports Minutes later, too. Oh, can't wait. How about that? He's got it all. I don't know what time it's going to air, but be ready. Sometime it's, in the afternoon. He's got it all. Dumbfounded by yes. my deep thoughts no in doubt. sports. Yes. I'm Andrew Bogus. Uh, for now, we begin with college hoops. How about that on an August morning? USC oh. landed a commitment from arguably... The top recruit in the class of 2020 yesterday, that's seven-footer Evan Mobley. His brother Isaiah, also a five-star prospect, is a freshman this fall for the Trojans. So how do they get these awesome basketball-playing brothers? You might want to go back to March of 2018 moves when Andy Enfield hired their dad, Eric, as an assistant coach. Nice. Listen, that all works. It's all on the straight and narrow. Mm. Now, his dad was, I believe, an AAU coach, so it wasn't like they just hired... Oh, come their on. dad to be an assistant off of nothing. Well, how long is his dad going to be on that Andy, Andy Enfield staff when, when his sons are gone from USC? See, that's a good question. I don't know if you need to cover your tracks at all. Like, if there is a correct predetermined buffer zone to be like, oh, no, this had nothing to do with Evan and Isaiah well, Michael, going to the NBA. Well, Michael Porter went to Missouri. Yes, their dad went there with them. Right. Now, Michael Porter is now, you know, one year into his NBA career, you know, injury ravaged. Right. I'm hoping that he plays this year, right? Oh, so I think Javante still. Or he was he just in this draft? The other brother. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's. Oh, is he still there? I don't know. He is I he still like, at Missouri. I don't know. 
But it was, I mean, wasn't it more surrounding Michael than anything else? Yes. Okay. Is his dad still on the Missouri I, staff? I couldn't tell you. Has Missouri made a coaching change? I mean, that, the only thing I know about Missouri basketball is that Michael Porter. Oh, there Porter was never, a coaching change. You're right. Played was, one game and they got hurt. Co- yeah, but that's, I mean, it's so, it, it, it is so bad when you look at it. It reeks so bad. The fact that what these teams and programs do in order to get these players to come on for a year or two. Yeah. It really is. Meanwhile, my Fordham Rams can't even hire a dad to be an assistant coach to maybe get his kids to come there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, Moose, as you know well, so few visitors can win in Baltimore these days. But the Yankees have no such issues on Orioles turf. Let me find the highlight that I didn't load into my script. Here it is. Here's the 1-1. Swung on, a long drive to right. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. Mike Ford has homered over the high right field wall to give the Yankees a lead. Oh, there's a Ford in the Yankee future. Mike is Ford tough. Shut up. John Sterling on Yankees Radio. Home runs they've hit in the Camden Yards. Well, we're getting there. Mike Talkman followed a two-run shot, a 9-6 win in Baltimore after blowing a 6-1 lead. Those 32 homers, the last five of them came last night. That is the single-season record for a visiting team in one particular stadium. They have at least two more games in Baltimore today and tomorrow. I'm not sure they go back again before the year is over, but they have destroyed Camden Yards this year. The Rays took a 2 nothing loss on the Blue Jays last night. The Red Sox held off the Royals 7-5 to end their eight-game skid, and the Twins disappointed the Braves 5-3 on Miguel Sano's pinch-hit two-run homer bottom nine. The Dodgers blanked the Cardinals 8-zip. The Brewers snapping their four-game skid 9-7 in Pittsburgh. Two homers for Christian Yelich. That gives him 39 this season. That now leads the major leagues. Major leagues. Mike Trout would be next with 37. The Cubs held off the A's 6-5. Philly a 7-3 win in Arizona. And the Nationals a 4-0 win over the San Francisco Giants. Moose? All right. Thank you, Andrew. Let's hit the guest line right now. Let's welcome aboard Jane Slater. NFL Network uh, covers the Cowboys. She does a fantastic job. Hey, Jane, Mark Malusis and Andrew Bogish with you. Thanks for a couple minutes this morning. Yeah, don't worry. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, you got it, Jane. Uh, you know, let's start here. You know, talking up Tony Pollard. Let's start with Zeke. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's the big thing uh, because that that team is really built around the running back that's now in Cabo uh, at his at his agent's house. Uh, I don't care what Stephen Jones and Jerry Jones have to say about Pollard or any other running back on that team. I mean, they know that they're not going to go where they want to go this year unless Elliott's on the field, right? They know that, but I think the bigger concern for them isn't so much where they're going to go this year. It's where's this team going to go three, four years down the line. And, you know, as I've reported, their biggest issue is that Zeke's camp believes that he deserves a contract that is in line with Todd Gurley's. The Cowboys feel like Todd Gurley's contract was poorly structured. It was a bad deal. So they're trying to reset the market on that. And as it's been explained to me as recently as yesterday, the Cowboys feel like they have put a offer on the table, not only for Zeke, but for Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott, that would put each one of them in the top five highest paid at their position. They feel good about them. In fact, it was characterized as generous offers. Um, but they are also comfortable with and prepared to play this season without all three on proven deals, if that's what it comes to. In other words, 
they're ready to do a deal if the sides get serious about it, but it still feels like all three are pretty far apart right now. Jane, what's the breakdown? Obviously, there's a real, speaking of, of, of Elliot in particular, there is a disconnect between what he wants and what they want to give him, but I would also think that he doesn't mind and they don't mind him kind of taking training camp off and saving all these reps and snaps for the regular season. So, I mean, there is kind of a positive nestled in whatever drama might actually exist here, right? That is correct. Uh, it would be fair to say that it was unexpected that they want all of their guys in camp as Amari and Dakar. And, uh, you know, the Cabo thing, as it was explained to me, was not a good look. Uh, but they understand that it's a business deal. Um, I'm told they're trying to get a deal done. It's just the two sides aren't, especially on the Ezekiel Elliott situation, I was told that they're off on everything as it applies to guaranteed money, as it applies to years. Um, and so until they can meet in the middle a little bit more, it sounds like they're okay um, doing this thing if they have to on a proven deal, reminding all of us uh, when we've talked about this that Zeke, as well as Amari, as well as Dak, are still under contract. And Elliot has that deadline today about accruing a, a year of service, which then would delay unrestricted free agency. But I'm assuming because he assumes he'll sign something new in Dallas that that doesn't really matter, this deadline today, right? That is fair. And also keep in mind, because of the fifth-year option, he could technically still try and accrue that unrestricted free agent year next year. This year just makes the more sense uh, if you're Zeke's team and you're looking for leverage. This is the year that you would do that as opposed to next year. But I agree with you, Andrew, in the sense that it feels like they are they believe that there will be a contract deal that could get done, which makes this deadline a little bit arbitrary but still important if a deal doesn't get done. And that's where it gets a little complicated. Uh, but you've got to think that they believe that Zeke will get something done and he wants to stay here in Dallas. So if they blow through this deadline, which is how it feels, it doesn't feel, and I've been given no indication that Ezekiel Elliott boarded a plane last night or he was staying in the California area and we expect him at camp today. That's not the expectation. Uh, the expectation is that Zeke is not going to be here. If Zeke does show up to camp, it's going to be closer to the start of the season. Jane, do you think he'll be there week one? Here's why I believe that he'll be here. And, and I always try to be careful as a reporter to get into speculation and my opinion. No, but, fair. but I would say that the one thing that I've brought up when I've been asked this question is how much money does Zeke have to make? Can he afford to miss games? I've got to think when you've missed six game checks already because of the suspension that you can't afford to miss games. Um, so that's where I feel like he's going to be here for week one. I, I believe he wants to be a good teammate. I believe he knows how good this team is. I believe he's used this period uh, as the leverage he needed to get a new deal done. But I've been shocked every step of the way on this, as I believe the Cowboys have, uh, when a lot of people uh, that I spoke with believe that he would be here for camp in the first place. So it's hard to say, uh, but I think when it comes down to money in the bank and what you can afford to skip out on. I just feel like with him still being on the steal, having missed those six game checks because of the suspension, it feels like he would need to show up to camp, that he would need to show up for games. 
You know, Jane, you mentioned in terms of, you know, the girly being a bad deal and, you know, the Cowboys are looking, you know, down the line, not necessarily just looking and focused on 2019. I'm curious about the trust factor. Uh, you know, we've talked about this a lot when talking about the Cowboys. Uh, we look at, you know, Cooper to a lesser extent, but when you compare Prescott and Elliott in terms of long-term commitments and financial packages, put the position aside, I get the sense they trust Prescott a lot more away from the football field, and how could you not as compared to Trustin Elliott? It's hard to characterize that for sure. I think all of us that have been following the Zeke storylines, certainly that's how that's how I think a lot of sensible people would view, that, view this. But I will tell you in my private discussions with the Cowboys, they speak as highly of Zeke as they do about Dak and okay. they do, as they do about Amari. Now, Look, that could be what they're saying to a reporter if you want to be a critical thinker and say, of course, they've got concerns. A sensible person would. Uh, but in all my conversations with, with the Cowboys, I've been given no indication that it's the off-the-field stuff necessarily that's holding this thing up. It's the Todd Gurley stuff. And, and again, I want to be clear, it's not that they don't believe Todd Gurley's a good running back or that they wouldn't love to have a guy like Todd Gurley on their roster. And I, I love how... That statement infuriated so many Rams fans that never actually listened to what I said. <laughs> it was the way the deal was structured and the way the numbers were set that the Cowboys are having a hard time stomaching and trying to reset. Um, so I just want to make that abundantly clear. They just don't believe that that deal was a good deal. And so they are trying to avoid that in their discussions with Zeke and in getting a deal done with, with him. I think what's been fascinating about the whole thing is people have long knocked the Cowboys. I've covered this team since 2011. People have long knocked the Cowboys for the fact that they overpaid players. They held on to players for too long. And now it seems like they're trying to exercise some prudence in their discussions. And people are all of a sudden furious about the deal. It's not that the Cowboys, and again, this is I've had a number of conversations with several people in this organization about these three contracts. It's not that they don't want to get these deals done. They just don't want to be record setters. They don't want to break the bank. And they feel like the offers are generous on the table and put all three of them in the position of top five highest paid at their positions. So, Jane, what is the uh, number two most important story in Cowboy camp right now, aside from these three guys? Great question. Um, I would say the most important story so far, the one that we focused on the most, isn't so much the contract of Dak, but Dak's development this offseason. Um, you know, the biggest knock on, on Dak that I see all of it covering the Cowboys is he doesn't deserve the contract. Um, say what you will. You've got to, you know, obviously look at Carson Wentz's deal, what he made. You know, that is where the jump-off numbers are with Dak. But I think the most important thing is that there has been, I mean, you can see it, it's the eyeball test. There has been a marked improvement in Dak Prescott's accuracy and his footwork on this timing with his receivers this offseason. I really believe that that stems from the addition of John Kitten and Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore, of course, an offensive coordinator that we all sort of privately laughed about. You know, of all the guys that Jerry could have brought in, you bring in the guy that was Tony Romo's backup, you know, when Dak Prescott was a rookie and the four stringer on this roster, a guy named Jamil Shamworth, who now plays on defense, was ahead of Dak Prescott, and you want to give him $30-plus million a year. It's because of the way he galvanizes the team, 
It's the respect that he commanded his rookie season when Tony Romo came back healthy and ready to go, and the Cowboys wouldn't even let him compete for his job, which was, again, fascinating to watch when I go back there, my first year NFL Network covering that. Um, But just seeing Dak's development, there has been an improvement. We're seeing it. You can see the accuracy change. So that's the storyline we've been really been keeping an eye on. And I think I'm continuing to watch this Zach Martin situation. You know, once the best offensive line in football and still a lot of great guys on this line, you've created a lot of depth now because you've seen Tyron Smith have to miss games last year. You saw Travis Frederick um, miss the season because of Guillain Barre. They've got some depth behind them. Zach Martin, of course, we're sort of monitoring his situation after the MRI. They, they feel like he's okay, but it's my understanding they're sort of keeping an eye on it. Um, so that's something I'm keeping an eye on heading into camp. I don't expect him practicing today, et cetera. Um, I think they're going to be careful with him, put him in a little bubble or at the head of the season, um, as they've done with Tyron Smith and guys like Sean Lee in the past. These veteran days get their days off. I think that's been a good thing. Um, but, you know, Zach Martin got paid last year. You know, yeah. what does this mean? So keeping an eye on the health down the line is something else I'm watching. You know, Jane, how does how does Witten look a year in the broadcast booth after a year in the broadcast booth? Shockingly younger. Really? <laughs> yes. Um, when that got announced at Combine, I remember reaching out to a couple of my sources. The building was split on this, quite frankly. You know, if you remember Blake Jarwin and the Giants regular season finale he had three touchdowns. Um, he looked sharp. It felt like the offense, as it was described to me, they had sort of started collaborating without Scott Linehan in that final game. They wanted to see what, what life looked like without him. You know, he had moved up to the booth a couple of weeks before off from the sidelines, and they started utilizing Blake Jarwin at tight end. Uh, all of a sudden, this offense wasn't that predictable, and they liked what they saw from him. And so this notion that Witten was coming back, a guy who never came off the football field, uh, there was concern that that was going to stunt the development of the younger guys. But I would say that witness come back re-energized, as he described it to me. This is a show-me league. He feels humbled. Um, he feels more appreciative of the second you know, chance. He feels conditioned. I remember going up there with Scott Hansen, one of my colleagues. He happened to be in Dallas and called me up and said, Hey, Slater, I know it's your day off. You want to go up to the star and Frisco? And I said, of course, that's exactly what I want to do on my game with Scott. <laughs> but we went up there, and there at the training table in the cafeteria was Jason Witten with his iPad, the playbook, with the players. And this was early March. And I thought that was fascinating. It showed that he was ready to get that to work. Um, and he just, he does so energized. He's back to barking to the players in a constructive way to the coaches. He never stops talking. Um, he's always got input, and he just seems genuinely excited to be back, but he just feels younger. I can't explain why, um, but he feels younger, and that's not me selling anything to you. That's been several people's observations. So with that being said, you know, I've noticed that Jarwin's kind of kicked it up a little bit, so the competition has been good, and I think that's what we're finally seeing on this team with the Cowboys is some competition in a couple of spots. Jane, besides uh, us bothering you at 5.30 local time and angry Todd (laughs) Gurley fans, uh, is this the best training camp assignment in the NFL, the Cowboys and Oxnard? Hands down. I mean, I cover the Saints, too, and this is no knock on the Saints or Metairie, 
but it's just a little bit different. A little less <laughs> shit. <laughs> right, you don't mind getting up at 5.30 in the morning in Oxnard, California, it's right? Like, what, 60 degrees is a breeze, beautiful? Yes, yeah. I mean, literally, there are worse assignments. This is my fourth training camp. I don't take it for granted. It is called the Glamour Beat for a reason. Uh, Jane Slater covers the Cowboys for the NFL Network. Hey, Jane, we appreciate you getting up early for us. Uh, Have a good day at camp today, and uh, hopefully we can get you on again real soon. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. You got it. Thanks, Uh, Jane. uh, She does a great job. She really does. That is, I mean, we want to compare it. Oxnard, California compared to, like, MetLife Stadium. (laughs) I think Oxnard wins most head-to-head comparisons. Right, I'm driving to the Hambo on Saturday to go do a broadcast locally for WFA in New York, the Hamiltonian. Great. And uh, Goral and everyone over there and Rachel Ryan at the Meadowlands are fantastic. But I'm going, but. Th- I'm driving through there <laughs> and I see giant training camp, the fans, and they're, you know, playing, you know, pick up football in the parking lot. Yeah. You know, and there's nothing around. Yeah. I think there's literally, was... there's literally nothing around where the Giants practice facility is. And if you don't know, it's basically, you know, uh, you know opposite side or same area, opposite side of the parking lot as compared to where, where MetLife Stadium is. The right. same complex. You can walk from the stadium to the Giant offices. Yeah, you're surrounded by smokestacks. Bridges, right. factories, this crazy mall thing that's been a joke around here that's been built, being built for like a decade that's never actually been finished and working and has like an indoor ski slope. And meanwhile, Jane, I think, goes to Malibu and surfs on oh, her days off from Cowboys amazing. game. Uh, good for in her. wine country. That's great. Good for her. We get we'll to look at Mike back. all day. We got the undercard for you. Yes. <laughs> Mike and, and Pete. Pete. Are Pete, Pete and I wearing the same? About fantasy football. Are we wearing Enjoying the same shirt, me and Pete? No, Similar color? Mine's no, more it, neon. It's fair. He's got neon green. His light's up in the dark. <laughs> it does, actually. The Undercard, Taz, Moose, CBS Sports Radio. It's Taz and the Moose on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to Taz and the Moose on CBS Sports Radio. Certainly are on a busy Tuesday morning. Good stuff there with Jane Slater from NFL Network. Covers the Dallas Cowboys out there in beautiful Oxnard, uh, California. It's been a good show so far. We hit upon a lot of big topics, a lot of big issues going around the National Football League and the NBA and all. Let's get to it, though. Here we go. The undercard. Taz and the Moose present The Undercard. The stories from today's rundown that we haven't talked about on the show. All right, Michael, what do we got? All right, so we've been mentioning Vince Carter during the show that he'll be back for his 22nd season. His rookie season was 1998, and the movie that won the Oscar that year was Titanic. Were you a fan of the film? I love Titanic. I did. I remember where I saw it. I saw it in an old-school theater in Rockland County that actually had an organist playing before the movie came on. I swear to you, organist beforehand, this is like a theater from like the 1940s, 1930s. I think it was in Suffern, New York. Saw it, not like, not, not you know, listen, it didn't have the, the lounge chairs that you get now and mm. then recline and, you know, the tray service where they're bringing a, a fine glass of wine or your favorite cocktail to go along with like, you know, uh, you know, a steak and potatoes as you're eating your, as you're watching your, uh, me, as you're watching a movie. No old school popcorn, candy, soda, 
old theater, watched it. It was fantastic. Atmosphere added to it as well. Yeah, I love Titanic. How about you, Bo? Love Titanic. Never got a girl to let me draw her. Like in the movie, that never that line doesn't work in reality. No, it does not. Certainly doesn't work in current times. No. Maybe it would have been back in 1912, uh, but it just, uh, yeah, it didn't, <laughs> didn't play out well. No, that did not. You know what movie I watched the other day? My wife told me, uh, and I didn't watch it when I, I should have, because it was uh, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Fantastic. Still. I loved it. I guess the moose seal of approval. Oh, it's great. The hoof of approval. And the, the, the music's fantastic. You know why he won the the Academy Award for actor of the uh, actor of the year? I mean, he was unbelievable as Freddie Mercury. You actually felt like he was him. It was it was great. And I thought the movie was well done. I thought it was well written. Uh, you know, it took you through. It never really dragged. I thought it was a really good movie. Believe but me, Raps. Don't leave 1998 yet because Mike mentions the number one song that year. Too close. That was the song me and my roommates played before we went out at night in college to get us fired up for an evening. What song is too close? Does Pete have it queued up here? No? no. We'll get it. Maybe when we're grinding. Oh. Is that the song you used to play before you went out? That was like the official dorm room song as we were pre-gaming. It was in the rotation to when get us ready for the night out of, at Alumni Hall. Well, it was 1998, why, 1999. Wonder why painting a picture only never the, worked for Only you. the hits, Moose. Only the hits. Yeah, that's it, right. That's it. I thought it was going to be no diggity, no doubt. Well, Great. good reference. Yeah. Black Sheep played at Fordham when I was there, oh, and they played that song. Nice. So we, keep it coming, Moose. Yeah, the lyrics to that song are explicit, cannot play. No, and surprisingly could be sung at a Catholic college. Um, all right, next. Ooh. Oh, We'll have to debate that in the break, folks. Uh, Panda Express is debuting a new meal. It's Ooh. the Szechuan hot chicken, like the Nashville hot chicken. Your interest in a, a Szechuan-style Nashville hot chicken. You'd have to explain Wait to me what second. the difference is. Hot chicken. I don't know. Hot chicken is fried chicken that's very spicy. Right. Yes. So, so Panda Express, a chain Chinese restaurant that you see in strip malls all over the place. Or in malls. You know, the food court. So Panda Express is now unveiling Szechuan Nashville hot chicken. Yes, it's their take on the hot chicken. So how do, it, it, does it come with sauce and vegetables? Is it over rice, or is it just like a, a piece of fried chicken? It's up to you. You can however you'd like to pair it. I can, I, I'm assuming, but I can't speak for the Panda Express people. But yes, you can get it with vegetables. How ah. many how many little pepper icons will it have next to its name on the menu? I don't to know denote the its spiciness. You ever get hot oil when you go get Chinese food? No. It's specific, what do you mean? Instead of hot mustard, you could ask for hot oil. No, so I didn't know that. So hot oil is is something where they take like, I guess it's an olive oil, or I don't know what the oil is of choice, and they have it marinated with hot peppers. So it's very very spicy, but you can da- you can drizzle it onto your food to add a little extra kick to it. That's just a side note for all you Chinese food fans out there. Anyway, no, I would not go get hot if I'm going to go get hot chicken. I want to go to a place that specializes in hot chicken. Right. I don't want to get hot chicken at Panda Express, which is for Chinese food. Right. I'm going to go get it in Nashville. And I also need to eat my Chinese food at a grittier place than Panda Express. And it's a chain. It's clean. It's well kept. Like, I like my Chinese restaurant to have a little grime to it. 
Oh, my, like really? my neighborhood one is like probably doesn't pass health inspections, but that makes it good. No, it does not. It does. That's, it's got no. some character. Dude, my stomach just turned. Hand Express is too mainstream. What, what do you want? Like, you want to you want to be concerned about what you're actually eating? I mean, aren't you always when you eat out? No, I'm not concerned. No, if I order yeah, a burger, I like, I'm getting a burger. My my local Chinese place has like some has some character. I like that. Panda Express doesn't. It's too sterile. Oh, uh, Panda Express gives you good food for what it. I mean, it, but yeah. I would not get hot chicken at Panda Express. That would be like going to Panda Express and be like, can I get a cheeseburger? <laughs> <laughs> or a hot dog and fries. No. I even think it's weird when I go to a Chinese restaurant and they're making wings. I think that's strange. No. You go to a Chinese food, you get Chinese food. Wings and fries at a Chinese food place? No. It doesn't work. No. I want my lo mein, fried rice, and an egg roll. <laughs> Not and that now particular I'm starving. order. Yes. All right. Next. Uh, oh, no. Worries. That one's going to go, too. Yeah. Yay. Give you a oh quick my one. goodness! Mikey B and his cat, look who it is! The Rams have season tickets. It's $250 for the season. That's $31 per game. Would that interest you? Would I would buy Rams those. Game? For Rams season tickets? Where are you sitting for $31 well, a game? Question. It auto selects you yes. for each game, so oh. you don't know. And you can get up to four tickets, depending, I guess, on availability. But you don't know location, and you only find out Dude, 24 hours beforehand, so you can't resell them. Dude, 250 a game? It's worth the gamble. for the season? $31 a game? To see the Rams. Right. Bogus, good job, brother. I'm in. Jane Slater, uh, tremendous for joining us. Mike Pete across the way as well. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Uh, have yourself a wonderful Tuesday. Till tomorrow. Peace. There's got to be a 10-second runoff here. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.